0: Welcome to Season 6 of Fintech for the People. I'm your host, Rahil Rangwala, Managing Partner of Axion Venture Lab. Fintech for the People is brought to you by Axion Venture Lab, an early-stage investor supporting entrepreneurs building innovative solutions to address the financial needs of customers across the globe. In today's episode, we get to hear from the investor and her perspective on the intersection of fintech and future work. Stella Klemperer is the Director of Strategy at Flourish Ventures. Welcome to our show, Stella.
1: Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here today. Flourish Ventures, as you said, is a global fintech venture fund, perhaps a bit unique in that we invest exclusively in financial services with something of a, a sector change mandate where we aim to contribute to positive innovations in our financial services space and invest in broader ecosystem efforts. And we also operate across the globe. So we've had a presence in both the U.S. and emerging markets for more than a decade. We have $500 million under management. And my role within the team is um, to read our work in strategy and insights, which both includes helping our team develop our sector impact strategy and overseeing our learning and research agenda.
0: I do want to sort of dive in on the topic of the day, which is future work. We'd love to get a perspective. And I know Flores has done research in this space. You know, how do you guys think about future work? and you are global also in your mandate. So I'd love to get both this perspective of this changing nature of work, as well as how this applies globally to what you're seeing across different geographies.
1: One big shift that we've been following quite a bit over, say the past five years, is this shift in digitization across the globe leading to really meaningful change for workers. And when I think about that, I'm thinking especially informal workers. So. All income groups are really quite affected by digitization, but especially informal workers are becoming much more visible and much more discoverable because they're shifting kind of from the informal space into something of a more formal environment by joining platforms. And this applies both in emerging markets where you see a lot of micro entrepreneurs by necessity and in more developed countries like the US where you see folks picking up more and more gig work in recent years to supplement other sources of income. And I think this could be really powerful. It can, it can be a source of good or, or a challenge for some. But I think one thing that it does is it creates opportunities for fintechs who have much more access to historically underbanked and underserved populations.
0: Have you observed any kind of trends over the last four or five years around this space in the research that you've done? What does that look like? What are the insights around that?
1: In recent years, we've done some primary research interviewing about actually 3,000 gig workers across five countries in the early days of the pandemic. And then more recently, interviewing micro entrepreneurs, small corner shop merchants across the globe. And I think what you're finding there is that gig workers, when you think about gig workers as formally informal or micro entrepreneurs by necessity, are often living on the edge. So you, unsurprisingly, these folks were very hard hit by the pandemic in the early days uh, when you had a lot of the markets going into shutdown. But I think even today, it was sort of representative of folks who who are picking up different types of work, who don't have a lot of extra income, are looking for more opportunities to build resilience, maximize their income. And I think this is where you see fintechs not as a solution, but as as one tool that, that workers can use, where fintechs are able to um, have new types of access to discover and have access to informal workers. FinTechs also now have access to alternative forms of data, like income through platforms, engagement with platforms that helps them better serve good workers, underwrite good workers, and provide services like credit, savings tools, microinsurance that's tied to their work.
0: And I think it ties very well to the point you made earlier about this notion of discoverability and visibility, whether the informal workforce system out these digital footprints. Let's sort of double click on on this notion of embedded finance within these platforms for gig workers and some of the future work pieces that we talked about. What are some examples that you're seeing around that that you think are interesting, innovative, pushing the edge in terms of innovation?
1: I think what's exciting about embedded finance is that for workers who've traditionally been unbanked or underbanked, They're hard to serve, hard customers to serve. And at Flourish, we believe that non-financial platforms could become the natural owner of financial services and especially digital financial services for gig workers and other types of micro entrepreneurs, um, particularly in emerging markets. some examples of this. So there are apps that are able to provide micro insurance to delivery app couriers because they can see exactly when those couriers and those workers are driving or, or traveling and they can cover micro insurance for accidents during that time. So they're able to kind of provide a very tailored service. We've invested in a number of embedded platforms around inventory management for small merchants. And one example of that is ShopUp in Bangladesh, which is a B2B commerce platform that's really helped a lot of micro entrepreneurs build their businesses, get better access to inventory, help manage that inventory, and then now is able to layer in services like credit because they have a much better sense for those merchants' cash flows they're able to layer in different types of, of payments tools. And so they're able to kind of take merchants who were historically just kind of getting by and, and managing on a cash flow basis and help them get access to, to grow their business.
0: I like this phrase you just used and said, natural owners of financial services. I don't think I've heard that before, but I, I agree with that. I wonder if you think People in the ecosystem or founders that are building these platforms recognize that. And is that something that's now becoming more accepted where these platforms are saying, we should be the natural owners and hey, this is an opportunity. Or is this a, a shift that is still in the process of happening?
1: I think a lot of these platforms do recognize that, that opportunity. And the challenge is first, you have to get your core non-financial business up and running because that really serves as a hook and a, a kind of a home for, for engaging with micro entrepreneurs or gig workers. And once you have that firmly established, you can layer in financial services because you've got that deep relationship and high level of engagement with your gig workers or your other micro entrepreneurs. And then you've also got your gathering data so that you can better serve them. But I think that's what's exciting about the companies we've invested in is this is part of their vision and, and what they hope to achieve.
0: In these various markets, It sounds like what you're saying is now the the pipeline that you're seeing. Like founders have this vision. They're not just sort of looking at themselves. Hey, look, we're just a marketplace. But they recognize that not only are we a marketplace, but financial services is a critical value-added product that we should be offering to our customers. And that's something that now much more commonly.
1: I think it's definitely on the minds of tech entrepreneurs who are building these platforms both in terms of being able to add more value to their customers and to diversify their offerings. It is top of mind.
0: Let me let me sort of change the frame a little bit and talk not about these platforms, but about the workers. This term gig workers does get used a lot for the audience. Like how do you guys think about gig workers and what's your definition?
1: Absolutely. You're right that the term gig work does get thrown around quite a bit. And at Flourish, we think of this as anyone who is now generating income through a digital platform. So you have traditional gig workers who may have been part of a historically fully informal sector in emerging markets. You have folks who are freelancers and perhaps higher income earners. This could include folks like house cleaners, handymen, beauticians, construction workers, anyone who's independent worker, not salaried, and now who is able to generate some of, some or all of their income through through platforms. And really, this could be a huge population. So more than half the world labor force comes from the informal sector. And that is now becoming increasingly digital and, and operating more and more on platforms. And this could expand to even other areas of historically informal work, like um, corner shop merchants, smallholder farmers, other folks who you might not traditionally think of as gig workers, but who are now more visible and more accessible via platforms. I think there's one other thing to note, Hill which is that in the US, we typically think of gig work as a choice. So people opt in for more flexibility or to add on a couple of hours to a, to a salaried job. In emerging markets, micro-entrepreneurship and gig work is often by necessity. So there just isn't the same employment opportunity and, and people are taking one or multiple jobs just to get by. And so I think in emerging markets, gig platforms can help existing informal workers become more formalized and more visible. In the US, you're seeing the rise of gig work and the emergence of these platforms for better or for worse, but I think it's something of a different story too.
0: It's an interesting delineation you've drawn because I would assume based on that, there will be very different needs for, for gig workers in the US versus in an emerging market where in the emerging market is much more of a compulsion and necessity uh, and lack of choice. Did any of your research highlight that in terms of different needs? for this developed market versus emerging market, or did you find it a lot more consistent in the financial needs?
1: I think actually there were quite a few similarities in gig workers in the US and in emerge across gig workers in the US and emerging markets in terms of the their struggles, their needs, their aspirations. I think one difference that comes to mind is that in the US, the number of unbanked and underbanked is quite a bit lower. And so the opportunity to embed financial services might look a bit different. In emerging markets, you might have informal workers or gig workers who are using digital financial services for the first time. And so that platform can be that, the home for them of their, their financial lives. In the U.S., I was just speaking with someone recently who did a big survey and found that on average, something like Americans have four finance, different finance apps on their phones. So I think you're seeing a different picture where in the U.S. you've got a lot more access and usage of digital finance already today.
0: One of the important things that we use in our work is gender, especially in the the financial inclusion space. Gender is always a core element from our financial inclusion thesis. Do you see any kind of differences around gender or opportunities when we think about Fintech and Futo work for gender?
1: As you might expect, you you see you see gender roles kind of playing out in in gig work. So that we definitely saw come through when we when we surveyed workers. But I think we found that financial well being and aspirations were quite similar. That women working in gig work are are concerned about a lot of the same things with their financial lives. Maybe one difference being physical safety, where women tend to to have more concerns.
0: That makes sense. I think from a platform perspective. At the root, gig work is precarious, and then when we add safety on top of that, from a gender perspective, that creates another layer of concern. That makes a lot of sense. Can you talk a little bit about when we see platforms, we see one of the issues and challenges is attrition on these platforms, these gig, gig platforms. When you are looking at these platforms or companies that you've invested in, how does that impact the model? And then do you think an embedded finance play can, can help address some of those attrition challenges?
1: There's a high degree of volatility within the gig economy. Workers are taking multiple jobs. They're picking up gig work when they need the extra income. And so you do see a lot of turnover in that space, which is a platform that, especially someone that's offering financial services, that could be a bit challenging. What we're seeing is a really interesting model with a company we invested in in Mexico called Hero that's managing tax withholdings and tax returns for a number of different segments, gig workers primarily, but also freelancers and small business owners among others. And I think what's unique about their model is that they've found that there's overlap where someone might be a gig worker, but also fall into a couple of other tax regimes. And so if they're able to provide different types of filings for that that worker, then they, they can build more stickiness into that relationship, even if that worker goes in and out of maybe one particular gig platform. Heru also uses, they're both a B2C model and B2B, where they're helping platforms like Uber or Rappi be in compliance with local tax authorities. Which I think actually gets to another point, Rahil, if I could jump right in, which is that you're seeing in in middle income countries like Mexico, like Brazil, you're seeing more and more that as gig workers become more discoverable via platforms, there's also more pressure from the government where these workers are moving into a more formal space and therefore are now paying taxes and are submitting returns. And so as workers become more formal, as they're navigating more tax withholdings and as they're trying to grow their business, this is another place where embedded finance platforms can play a big role in helping them manage that transition to to greater formality.
0: Just you know, another question comes to mind basically we just talked about, which is informal workers are always hesitant to come and get tax across emerging markets. I'm curious to see how Eru or some of your other folks companies have dealt with this challenge. And do you see it as a challenge also?
1: You know, I think in in some countries, as governments are becoming more active in in pursuing tax revenues, for good reason, especially after the pandemic, when they had dispersed large amounts of of relief funding, this is becoming the norm, that that gig workers are more visible to the government and are withholding taxes and, and submitting returns. In some places like Brazil, they've made this relatively easy and and straightforward. So there's a, a program called MEI for micro entrepreneurs that allows them to formally register with the government. It's a very easy process. They pay reduced taxes and in return, they get access to benefits like social security, e-invoicing, business banking. So I think in, in a lot of markets, governments are working to make this easier and perhaps less painful for historically informal workers.
0: And hey, maybe this is not a space you' so well-versed, but like from a regulatory perspective, How are you seeing government regulations keep up with this kind of shift in the labor market? And, you know, historically, governments tend to lag technology shifts. Is this something that you're observing? Or are you seeing some governments, the example you gave is Brazil, but others be more proactive? And how do you think that's going out?
1: So I'm probably not the best person to speak to this. And you might know more about this. I think in India with the with the Aadhaar system and the and the tech stack, you're seeing a lot more integration that's serving businesses. Um, what was it five years ago? I did some research in India on the digitization of small businesses, and you really see um, that the system works is 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 kind of widely accepted and seems to work pretty well.
0: Yeah, no, I, mean, I think India is a unique space also because from uh, the shift around GST and the inclusion of GST is also pushed digitization. In a much more aggressive way do you still think it's a good opportunity
1: i think there's a real opportunity in the embedded finance space and i think a lot of it comes down to fundamentals you need to be looking for business models that are viable especially in our current macro environment and then looking for those entrepreneurs who have that long-term vision so really starting with the core fundamentals of of building a a non-financial platform and then getting the right resources to and tools to layer in those financial financial services as well and I think this actually leads to one other area that, that is of interest to flourish right now, which is on the infrastructure side. So banking as a service, other types of infrastructure tools that can help um, tech founders build in financial services more easily. And so that's another really interesting area to, to invest in.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point because by connecting to your earlier point, like finding the right partners and not having to build everything yourself. There's a lot of enabling infrastructure that these marketplaces can really tap into. So, as an investor, when you think about market size and the opportunity, not really miss that this is actually a big opportunity for an infrastructure play or a banking as a service play because marketplaces are, are humble for these kinds of products and services. So I think that's a really good point. Thank you so much. I really appreciated that. It's a very frank level of insights that you've shared and, and sort of the deep perspective that, that, you, that you and Friar Spring investing and operating in this space and done so much research. I really do want to ask you a little bit more of a, a more personal question, which is if you were not doing what you're doing right now, which I know is you enjoy doing, what would, what is it that you would do instead?
1: That's a great question, Rahul. And I do, I do love what I'm doing now. And I, I love working with the team at Flourish. You know, if I were to do something totally different, I think I would study languages and linguistics. And I don't know what that career would look like, but my grandfather was an immigrant from Turkey. He spoke eight languages. He lived in New York. And when I would visit him, he would get in the front seat with the taxi driver wherever we went and just speak with him in whatever language that taxi driver spoke. It made me recognize really early on that there's so much power in language and being able to connect with people through, through common language. And then somewhat unrelatedly, I studied a little bit of linguistics at one point in my life. And I just love the study of uncovering patterns in language. It's like math, but for me, it was more fun and kind of easier. And so I really loved linguistics, too.
0: That's fascinating. I would have walked in met your grandfather. She sounds like a really impressive personality.
1: He actually, he worked at, in, in insurance. He was a salesman in insurance going door to door.
0: Oh, yeah. So speaking different languages has definitely been a, a plus. in did not learn the word. Well, Star, thank you so much for, for joining us and in, sharing in your insights. I really appreciate uh, the time.
1: Ronald, such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Next week, we'll be
0: heading to Manila to hear from Jamie De Los Angeles, co-founder and CEO of Advance, one of Axion Venture Lab's portfolio companies that leverages HR tech to provide early wage access to workers.